All right. Good morning, everybody. How we doing? Good to see you today. Amen. We had an awesome time at the 9 a.m. service. Had a great turnout. Everybody received. And and so I got to make sure you guys are going to be as lively and awake as the 9 a.m., right? You're not going to be outdone by those early morning people. Okay, very good. All right. Well, Mrs. Pastor is going to say hello to you this morning. Hi, everybody. How's everybody doing? Amen. Are you out and about? You're more than conquerors, right? You're healed, you're healthy, you're whole, you're doing good, right? Nobody's starving, right? Everybody's doing good. Well, that's the way it is in Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to go ahead and I'm going to have uh, Miss Katie come on up, Pastor Katie, and give us a few of the announcements and remind you, refresh you on the guidelines because who likes to hear about guidelines? That's about our favorite. Yeah, we love guidelines are fun. So anyway, I'll let her give you all the fun information that you may or may not already know. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your cooperation. Hallelujah. Right. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, so I need to remind you that when you go to the restroom, please do uh, use the Clorox wipes to wipe down any surfaces that you touch. Uh, but I, I would ask you because of the supply of Clorox wipes, please don't use like five and six of them. One goes a long way. Praise the Lord. Um, also, the children's video at 1 o'clock today and uh, 6 o'clock, the Sunday night service. Praise the Lord. Um, what is next Sunday? Thank you. This service had way more people who knew <laughs> what was going on. There were only three people at the 9 o'clock service. They had no idea what next Sunday is. So next Sunday is Father's Day, and we will have gifts uh, for the fathers like normal. Praise Jesus. And they are sanitizable presents. So please bring your dad, bring your grandpas, you know, bring, bring the gentleman. Amen. All right. Very good. Well, let's go ahead and stand up together today. Some of you just sat down, so my bad. But go ahead and stand up, and we're going to open up in prayer. It's good to be in the house of God, worshiping the Lord together. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to we're going to open up in prayer, get into some praise and worship, and then we've got a word from heaven for you today. So you you uh, what did Jesus say? Those that have ears to hear, let them hear. Is there anybody in here today that has ears to hear? All right, very. I know you've all got ears, I see them, but you need ears to hear what God wants to say to you today. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done. And Lord, we're grateful, Lord. We are grateful for all that you are in our lives, Lord. We totally admit that we need you. We've got to have you. We're desperate for you, Lord. And we ask this morning that as we are gathered here in your name, God, we know you're going to keep your word. You said where two or more are gathered in your name, you're right there in the midst. And so we're here you're here, and we're going to have an amazing, life-changing day today. Anything that we brought in, Lord, any junk from this week, any trash the world threw at us, we lay it all aside right now, and we come to you and say, this is Jesus' time. This is our time for you, and we ask you to have your way in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Let's worship the Lord. No longer bound by chains 
You gave your life for our freedom. We're coming out of the shadows. Your glory tore through the veil. And now your light shines upon us. Cause we are free, we are yours. You got me the glory now and forever. Sing my soul. You got me the glory now and forever. Sing my soul. We have been washed in the river. You turn our We are free, we are yours To God be the glory Now and forever Sing my soul To God be the glory Now and forever Sing my soul Sing that again To God be the glory Now and forever Sing my soul To God be the glory God be the glory. All of creation, lift up His name. You God be the glory. You God be the glory.
for the dry. The season is over, and there is a cloud beginning to swell. Let it be done. 
raise our hands to heaven for a minute today. Lord, we love you and we do receive your reign today, Father. We know that this world is a dry and thirsty place, God. We know that there's all sorts of stuff going on, God, but we're in your house right now. And just like King David talked about, my soul, it longs for you, it thirsts for you. I pray that your reign right now at this moment is flooding our hearts, God. It's saturating our hearts. If, if there's dry hearts, if there's hard hearts, if, the, if there's uh, hearts of stone, God, I thank you that right now your reign is softening our hearts before you, God. We love you so much, Jesus. We thank you for what you have done in our lives. We praise your name. We lift your name high today, Father. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's give the Lord some praise this morning. Amen. God is good. You can be seated today. Man, isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord together with our family, right? Man, hallelujah. Well, praise God. You know, I, I, um, I had this whole sermon written out that I wanted to preach and I, and I thought it was, man, that's perfect for today. And then yesterday the Lord kind of got my attention and said, no, that's not it. You need to go a different route. So, uh, I've got a message this morning that I believe is for you. It's not a mistake that you're here. Who knows that you are here. God set this up for you to hear the word of God today. God has a word for you that, that he's going to get to you right now. So if you were interested in that other sermon tonight at six on YouTube or Facebook, you can still check it out. Okay, come on. It's going to be on there. So, but the title today is this Jesus wins every time. Jesus wins every time. And you know, that may sound like something like, well, duh. I mean, yes, we know that. And, and amen, brother. Of course he wins every time, but you need to get that not up in your head, but in your heart. It's one thing to mentally and, and intellectually acknowledge. Yes. Yes. I, I know I've, I've read about it. I know Jesus and I know his power, but it's a whole other thing when you get that in your heart. 
In your head, it's just knowledge. In your heart, it's a revelation from heaven. And so when I say that Jesus wins every time, that's not just something that I'm like, well, yeah, you know, that's a cute thing to say. That'd be good on a T-shirt or a hashtag. I'm talking about Jesus wins every time you need to get that. Now, you know, I was thinking earlier about growing up, you know, there was this basketball player named Michael Jordan that dominated the nineties when I was, when I was growing up and after it was cool for a minute, but every time he went to the NBA finals, he won. He never lost a single time that he went to the finals, not one series. And after a while, you're like, wait a minute, I've seen this before. Every time he goes, he wins. It was cool for a minute, but after a while, it started getting kind of old because we always knew what was going to happen. He was going to beat your team, and then he was going to go and win the trophy. And I'm thinking, man, Satan must feel like a big loser because every time for the last billion years that Jesus shows up, he loses every single time. And after a while, he's going to be thinking, wait a minute, I've seen this before. Here comes another beaten. And that's right, because there is not one thing that Jesus has ever set out to do that he's lost. Let that settle in. Think about that. There's not one time. Well, I can think of times in my life where maybe I I didn't win. And I can think of times in my life where I didn't win too. But I can also be honest enough to tell you every time I've picked up a loss, it's because I was not doing things Jesus' way. You know, we say it all the time. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Every time that I've trusted in the Lord, I've won. The times that I've trusted in me and in my brilliance, I've lost. Times I've trusted in me and in my strength and in my money and in my power, I've lost. But there's not been one time that I've trusted in the Lord with all my heart and that he has let me down not once. You know, I was also thinking about, you know, I don't know a lot about boxing, but I know there was this guy back in the day named Rocky Marciano, this boxer. He went 49-0, and never lost a fight. And, I, well, I guess the newer guy, I may be wrong, but I think Mayweather's gone even 52-0 or whatever. But either way, these guys, they every time they got in the ring as a heavyweight, they won every single time. That's a good record. I'll take 52-0, 49-0. But what if we were to compile Jesus' stats? What would that be? 600 billion and 0. Five zillion and zero losses. That's a pretty good record right there. And if he hasn't lost in anything in the past, he's not planning on losing on anything right now. And so we get it, man. A lot of people right now, they're paralyzed with fear. They're looking around at the world like, man, this happened and then this happened. And someone mentions killer zombie hornets coming down and getting us next. And I'm like, come on, people. Come on. When we look at everything around us, Yeah, absolutely. There could be some fearful things, but Jesus wins every time. Anytime I say, I can't, I just preached a whole service on this an hour ago. And yet again, every time I say that phrase, something rises up on the inside of me and says, amen, Pastor Dave. Amen. Jesus does win every time. And so we have got to be able to get that from the head and into the heart and realize how powerful of a statement that is. A verse I want to share with you today is 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. Amen. Try to keep your, yeah. Don't get loud now. We're at church. Keep it to yourselves. Don't get excited. We're at church, right? 
2 Corinthians 2.14 in the King James. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now, this is a verse I learned when I was a little kid, man. I heard my parents quote this all the time. And you guys, parents, your kids need to hear you quoting the Word of God, right? They need to hear you speaking the Word of God. Well, my baby's only a month old. Then you've already got a late start. You need to start today. Well, man, we're still pregnant. You're, you got to start right now. Start right now. Speak the word of God over those babies. They need to be hearing scripture all the time. I don't regret it one bit. Second Corinthians 2, 14, it says, Now thanks be unto God, which half of the time causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen in the church? That doesn't say that. It says, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. What type of word is always? I mean, that sounds like kind of a gutsy thing to say. What if I went out and said, I guarantee you every single game you play this year, you're going to win. Guarantee you every single time you, you set out to do. I mean, you'd be like that I, every time I can understand, like being somewhat good or having a good year. But you mean to tell me always, every, never lose. Thanks. I'm not going to add to it. I'm not going to take away from it. I'm going to say it like it says it. Thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. If you think that's gutsy or risky, then that's on you. But I think that's the safest thing to do right there is to say, I always win when I'm in Christ. I never lose. Everything I do in Christ Jesus, I always pick up a win. Because the word of God says that. Jesus wins every time. So what we're going to do today is this. And man, this was hard. I went through the four gospels over the last 24 hours and, and tried to just narrow it down, pick, pick a few stories of Jesus picking up the great big win. And of course, as you start flipping Matthew, you see, whoa, win, 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 win. Next page, win, big dub, big dub. That was a big, big, and, and you keep seeing win after win after win. And after a while, you realize like, man, this guy's not joking around. Like he's, He's the best. He always wins at everything he does. And so we've narrowed it down to a few stories here and a few different areas that we need to hear in 2020. Because who else realized there's some unique stuff going on that I've never seen before in my life going on in this day and age right now that we need the fresh word from heaven in our hearts to get us through. So let's look at a few things here about areas that Jesus always wins in. I'm going to pray that I want to dig into this, and I want you to give me like 20, 30 minutes of your full heart, your full attention, because I know that this is a word for you today. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we come to you this morning, and I pray that as we open our Bibles, as we speak the word of God, your word is true, and you said that it never returns unto you void. It always accomplishes everything that you send it forth to do. And so I declare right now, your word has free course in this building. And in anybody listening online right now, your word has free course to do whatever you need it to do. We thank you that we're picking up a big win today in Jesus name. Everybody said, so as we dig in, I need you to say something with me. Say this, Jesus wins every time. Here we go. Jesus wins every time. Now, that was kind of cute that you did it that way. But now I want you to say it like big people and say it like you mean it. Say, Jesus wins every time. Jesus wins every time. Amen. Come on. And so the first thing we're going to say is this. What does he win against? Number one, against sickness and disease. We're not just like 
throwing that out there, you know, it says that he heals people sometimes. I mean that with all my heart. Sickness and disease is no match for the name of Jesus. He wins when it comes up against that. Heal me a cancer. Heal my dad a cancer. He wins every time. And so we're going to look at a few verses here. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 8. Am I at the right place? Matthew chapter 8. And this is a powerful chapter full of healing stories. In fact, there's one verse we'll get to here in a, in a little bit on it that's a famous verse that, that you've probably heard and hopefully you know it. But Matthew chapter 8 has several healing stories that you need to be familiar with. And what are they? They're all stories of Jesus picking up a victory, of sickness trying to come and mess with people, but Jesus winning, right? So Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 1, here's the first story. Matthew 8, verse 1, it says, Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing or if you want to, you can heal me and make me clean. Wow. So he's like, if, if you really wanted to, I know you've got the power to do this. I just don't know if you've got the will to do it, if you actually want to. So what did Jesus do? Boom. He put on some plastic gloves, a mask, got two cans of Lysol, and he went at the guy because leprosy is contagious. No, I'm not making fun of that. But what I am saying is Jesus, with no hesitation whatsoever, he went right into that guy's bubble. And what did he do? Look at this. Verse 3, he went right in there. He went for the kill shot against sickness. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. Come on, look at that right there. I mean, I was I just looked it up because I've, I've known a little bit about leprosy, but I was like, let me find out some more. So I looked it up yesterday. Sure enough, leprosy is a contagious disease. It's a killer disease. It's an awful disease. And I found out that even still today, over 20,000 people in the United States get diagnosed with leprosy somehow. And I'm like, how did, I've never heard of such a thing. But we, they quarantine it and keep them to themselves. And they don't spread it. And they kind of handle it that way. But right here, this man, people back then, they knew all about leprosy because you saw people with, I mean, they, their nose had fallen off their face. They were missing fingers. They were missing ears because this nasty, gnarly disease rotted the flesh off. And the worst thing is you could catch it from me. What a bad disease. But Jesus, he was like, no, no, oh, no. The devil's messing with somebody, not when I'm around. He steps in there instantly and says, be healed. And the man is instantly healed. The leprosy disappeared. Why did that happen? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus wins every time. Even against fatal contagious diseases. Even against fatal contagious diseases. Jesus wins every single time. Somebody should say amen today to that. That's good news. Let's look at the next story here. Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 5. So here's another story. And I'm telling you, man, people are like, you know, we, we have our issues and we're like, I'm, I'm afraid of this and I don't know what's going to happen. Listen right now. Jesus isn't afraid of your situation. Jesus isn't intimidated by what's going on in your life. He's on the inside of you. And it says, First John 4, 4, greater is he that's in you than he that is in this world. That right there is all I need to hear. 
He's on the inside of me, and he's greater than anything that can come against me. Matthew 8, verse 5, this is the story of the Roman centurion. So he's a military officer. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, okay, well, I'll come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. That's some faith right there. Because imagine this. You come to Jesus. Imagine Jesus is in Barstow right now. You run into him, right? He's down there at Walmart. And, 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 and you know, everybody loves Walmart and Barstow. So we're down there hanging out. Jesus walks in, beard, robe, sandals. And you're like, Jesus, I have got this bad situation. He's like, let me just come over to your house then. I'm thinking, come right now. I don't care what just Jesus offered to come straight over to my house. But this guy says, you know what? Not necessary. I'm not even worthy to have you come to my house, first of all, but you just speak the word. That's good enough for me. And you know, the next few verses, Jesus says, I haven't seen faith like this, not even in Israel. Why did he say that? Because he was talking to a Gentile. He was talking to a Roman man. This man was not Jewish. And Jesus says, no, I haven't even seen Jewish people with this kind of faith. This guy said, I don't even need to come. Just speak the word from where you are. That's some faith. And a lot of times, I think we fall into this trap of telling Jesus how to do his job. I'll just, just, I'll let you mull that over, mull it for a minute, mull it. Because a lot of times people, Jesus, I'm in a bad spot. I need you to do this, this, and this. Do it this way, do it that way. Talk to this guy and make this happen. And there we go, problem solved. I'm like, don't tell Jesus how to do his job. Jesus said, well, I'll come over and this guy, you don't even have to do that. Just speak the word. And then Jesus speaks the word. What happens? Verse 13 Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, all right, go back home because you believed it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. What do we have there? We have another victory for Jesus. I'm just going to start taking a pen. And every time Jesus picks up a win and I'm in my Bible, I'm going to put a nice big W beside it because Jesus wins every time. Say that with me. Jesus wins every time. Well, what about your situation? What about where you're at right now? What about what you're facing right now in 2020? So far, Jesus has a great winning record. He's batting a thousand. He's never lost at anything he's ever done. You think that your situation is going to be the first time that Jesus picks up an L? No. Jesus wins every single time. Jesus wins. But again, people, well, I picked up some losses. When we do things God's way, we always triumph in Christ. You don't have a promise of triumphing in yourself, but you do have a promise that you always triumph in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so the next story in Matthew 8, look down here, verse 14. So we've healed the guy with leprosy. He's healed uh, the the, the Roman centurion's servant. He didn't even show up. He just spoke the word from wherever he was at. And then the third thing is Peter's mother-in-law. And you've got to love a good mother-in-law. Who loves their mother-in-law? All right. Okay, good. All right. Love my mother law. So Matthew 8, verse 14. When Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. But when Jesus touched her, the fever left her. Then she got up and prepared a meal for him. I mean, come on. What a deal. 
You show up and pray and you get a free meal out of it. That's a, I'll take that any day of the week. I like to pray and I like to eat. This is a win-win for everybody. But look at the next thing here. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He ran and hid. No. What did he do? He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command and he healed all the sick. How many sick people did he heal? Was there any, but I mean, who does all include? Does that include most of the people? All includes everybody. So everybody that came to Jesus, if they were possessed, Jesus cast it out. If they were sick, he healed all the sick that were there. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah who said, he took our sickness and removed our disease. Matthew eight seventeen. That's the verse I'm referring to. You need to know Matthew eight seventeen. Shame on you if you know all the side effects of COVID-19, but you don't know Matthew eight seventeen. Shame on you if you know, well, technically it's a six-foot distance and it lands on surfaces this way and it's got this in it and you got to wear this and do that. And, and I can tell you 50 different things. Okay, what does Matthew eight seventeen say? Well, that, the Bible? Is that in the Bible? If that's, I mean, I don't mean to be mean. Shame on the Christian that can tell me every symptom and side effect of COVID, but they can't tell me what Matthew eight seventeen or 1 Peter 2, 24 says. We're not making fun, but that is shameful that some people know more about infectious diseases than they know about the word of God. And then they wonder why they've got a spirit of fear. It's no mystery, Sherlock. It's because whatever you pay more attention to is what's going to be in your heart. Amen. All right. We're going to leave that aside because that's not a popular topic right now. So we're just going to, I want to go to some fun stuff. All right. Uh, well, no, this isn't going to be any more fun. So point number two, let's go. <laughs> Thought I was going to get, get more comfortable. Let's get more uncomfortable because Jesus isn't afraid to tackle the uncomfortable issues. And so as I went through the four gospels in a very short period of time over the last 24 hours, I am grabbing some stories out of things that Jesus dealt with that we are dealing with in 2020. Because who knows this? The devil doesn't have any new tricks. He doesn't. He's using the same things he's always used. Now, as we'll see in a little bit, he's got some kind of ace bullets that he goes to, kind of some, you know, his atomic bombs. He's got a few that he loves to use. But he's doing the exact same thing in 2020 that he was doing way back then in Jesus' day. So number one, Jesus wins over disease and sickness. Number two, what's another thing he tackled? Racial division. I thought that was a new thing. No, he tackled racial division way back in the day, in his day, in 30 AD, same stuff. And so we're going to flip over to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Who's glad they came today? Hey, Amen. Who's glad they tuned in online? Okay, my mom is. <laughs> so, oh, no, I mean, she will later. But John chapter 4. We're going to look at a story here. So not only did Jesus violate health code, I'm not recommending that, but he also tore through racial barriers, right? So he went into the guy that was quarantined and said, I don't care, I'm going to pray for you anyway. And then he went into a situation here that was, I mean, just so unthinkable for his day and age. So back in Jesus' time, there was some intense racial division between Samaritan people and Jewish people. They didn't like each other. They couldn't stand each other. And the tension went back several hundred years to when the northern kingdom of Israel 
it was captured by the Assyrians. And so uh, Israel was split into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. You can read about this in First and Second Kings. And so Israel, eventually, because they just won't serve God, they keep backsliding, they keep straying away. Assyria overtakes Israel. And so these people... They start taking on the Assyrian gods. Okay, well, we'll worship this god and we'll do that. They start intermarrying with these people. And what happens is they take on the false idols, the gods, the wickedness of the Assyrians. So the people of the southern kingdom, Judah, they eventually get overtaken by the Babylonians themselves. But they can't stand their cousins to the north. They're they're traitors. They're backstabbers. They took on all these. And, you know, hey, there's some there's some truth to that. That, yeah, they started taking on these false gods and these false idols. So the tension grew for several hundred years until by the time Jesus gets there, a Jewish person wouldn't even walk through Samaria. If it was a, if, if, if their journey called for them to walk through Samaria, I'll walk 20 miles out of the way. But I refuse to go through there. I can't stand those people. And so it was intense. It was a volatile situation that was very uncomfortable. So one day Jesus is on his trip and it calls for him to walk right through Samaria. And breaking news, Jesus is Jewish, right? And so this is just, go, no, but his disciples are like, what are you doing? You're going to go through there? And his disciples, they didn't have this revelation of love yet. They're like, don't go through there. You don't, you don't talk to those people. They're nuts. So John chapter 4, verse 5. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. And so right then, I mean, there's just all sorts of red flags going off. What's, wait, what's going on? I, you're, you're. And so, look, it, it actually takes her by surprise. Verse 8, he was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Dang. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, get this. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Wow. Living water. And so if you fast forward to John chapter 7, Jesus goes to this Jewish festival of shelters. And at the climax, the greatest, busiest day of the festival, Jesus stands up in front of the whole crowd and says, If anyone's thirsty... Come to me and I will give you something to drink. Out of you will flow these rivers of living water. Now that was to all Jewish people he made that promise. But right here, way before that, Jesus promises this woman the exact same thing. Living water. And she's like, I, what is going on here? Why are you talking to me? And in fact, the message Bible puts verse 9 this way. The woman taken aback asked, How come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Because Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. That's what it says. I'm like, wow. And so Jesus, he doesn't care. He pushes right through that. And he says, 
I need to talk to you. And so he promises her this living water. And in fact, not only was the racial barrier the first thing Jesus tore down here, another massive barrier that we think we understand here in the United States, you don't know. Some of you soldiers have been to the Middle East and stuff, but massive, massive barrier when it comes to women, right? I mean, so you got a lot of you guys have traveled over, you know this, but even to this day, women over there, like they're, they're second class citizens totally, but especially in this day for Jesus to be talking to a Samaritan woman in the middle of the day and he's not being mean to her. He said, I'll give you living water. I will change your life forever. This was, I mean, this was absolutely incomprehensible. That's like me telling you Martians are coming down tomorrow and you need to invite them to your house and serve them. And you bet, that's never going to happen. Never going to happen. But this happened right here. And so the disciples come back because as you study the scripture, you'll see they're kind of hard-necked guys sometimes, hard-headed. They come back and they're like, whoa, what is going on here? You're talking to her? And so look at this, verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? They didn't even want to ask the question. It was so mind-blowing to them. They didn't have the nerve to even ask. But what did Jesus do? Because there's some hardcore truth in this story if you read it. Jesus told this woman the truth. He says, lady, go, just go get your husband. She's like, well, to be honest, sir, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And now you're living with a guy you aren't even married to right now. And she was like, you know, her exact words, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. You think? I mean, come on. He read her mail. Yes, he called everything out about her. And what did she do? She got offended and ran the other way and said, you judge her, you hate her. No, she said, thank you. You told me the truth. You set me free because we're saying all this stuff about Jesus. But you got to realize that Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Jesus doesn't lie to people to avoid hurting their feelings. Because another thing about Jesus John 8, 32, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. He loves you enough to set you free, even if that means hurting your feelings. What if we had more Christian people in 2020 that were like Jesus? Now, I know this may hurt a little bit, but you need to know the truth right now. What you're doing is going to send you to hell. What you're doing right now, that that's the reason you've got all this stuff going on in your life. That's the reason you can't ever get ahead. You spend all your money on this. Well, I don't, what right do you have to say that? Do you want the truth or not? Because some people are more comfortable in a bed of lies. They'd rather just lay in that forever than get the truth that could set them free. But that's not how Jesus operates. He's like, I don't care what color you are. I don't care where you're from. If you're a girl or you're a boy, I'm going to tell you the truth right now that this is going on. You change that. You could have living water and every day of your life pick up a victory. Because Jesus is all about the victory. And so what happens? 
Jesus tells her the truth. She doesn't melt down and cry and call him a bigot and a judger. No. What does he do? She goes to the village and tells everybody what just happened to her. Look at this. Verse 28. The woman left her jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? She is one of the first people to get that revelation that she is looking at Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. She's catching on to something right here that not very many people were catching on to yet. Could he be the Messiah? Verse 30, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. It drew a crowd. They wanted to see that they weren't afraid of the truth because they were tired of living the way that they have lived. And we need some people in 2020 to be tired of the way things have always been and said, I don't care. I'm running to Jesus. Give it to me. Give me the whole truth. Nothing but the truth. So help me, God. Give me the truth because I don't want things to be the way they've always been. I'm ready for a new day. And so skip down to verse 39. What happens? The people came. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. They didn't say, go away. Quit telling us what we need to do. Quit telling us how to live our life. Quit telling us what. No, they begged him to stay, please. So he stayed for two days long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. My gosh, that's where, you know, somebody has reached the level of, you know what? I believe in Jesus, not just because somebody else talked about him, not just because of somebody else's testimony. I believe because I've received him for myself. And there's a lot of people that, well, what, what religion are you? Oh, I'm a Christian. Why? I was born in America. Well, my mom and dad went to church. I got sprinkled with water when I was three months old. And I'm just being serious. I'm not making fun. That does not get you to heaven. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've got to do it yourself. Joshua said, choose you this day who you will serve. You have to make that choice. And it's great and it's cute that somebody squirted water on you when you were a baby. It's great and it's cute that your mom and dad went to church. It's awesome that you were born in America. And there's a lot of Christians here. But guess what? That's not what gets you to heaven. And Jesus right here in this book of John, he preached the gospel to everybody. And these people, they straight up said, oh, we believe now. And not because somebody else had to do the believing for us. Because I found out as a pastor and a preacher and a Christian that a lot of people want to get a miracle, but they want to get it on your faith. And that works for a minute. That works when you're a baby Christian. You can get somebody else to do the believing for you. But after a while, you have got to start getting some faith of your own and start doing some believing yourself. 
That's a word for somebody right there that it's time for you to grow up and start developing your own faith. And it's great. We love to pray for you and we'll hook up with your faith. But you, you eventually grow up and you have to start using your own faith and believing in Jesus for yourself. Start calling on the name of the Lord for yourself. Start opening the Bible for yourself and getting some scriptures on your own. You know, dad did a healing series. I think it was last year. And again, you know, we, we're a church that we, we, we don't hold back, man. We get the Bible to you as much as we can. We publish a daily reading list for every day of the year, every month of the year. We've got a, I mean, so don't say that, that, you know, high desert word center doesn't try to get the word of God, but it was shocking how many people can't quote a healing verse. It floored me. And so my dad was giving out a challenge each week, and some people started picking it up. But then again, he proved this point, like I said at the beginning of this service. If I said, we, we could mention a prescription. It, this shocks me. You know, have you ever heard of, you know, Xana, Wana, Wana, Wanathal? You know, whatever it is. Oh, yeah, man, I can tell you right now, it's got this side effect, that side effect. It does this, 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 and this. These are the side effects. Really? I mean, that's the toenail medicine, and you know all about it, and yet you don't. And and somebody can mention another prescription, and I'll tell you this, 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 and this about it. How in the world do you have that much time to study prescription drugs? You're not a pharmacist, but you are a Christian. You are a Christian. You can lay awake at night studying all these things, but you can't memorize a Bible verse that could save your life. We're Christians. Let's act like it. So Jesus wins every time over sickness and disease. He'll dive straight into a racial conflict and get to the root of it and, and, and give the same gospel, the same love to everybody. And an entire village gets saved over it. And then the third thing we're going to speak up against today is this. What does Jesus win against? Against fear itself. Fear itself. Maybe you've heard the phrase from... President Roosevelt, they says, you have nothing to fear, but fear itself. Now we hear that and we're like, yeah, that's, that's neat. I mean, yeah, sure. The fear is about, but you don't understand the power of fear. Fear is powerful. Why? Well, one reason is because it's a perverted form of faith. Because most fear is just a belief in the unseen. Faith is believing without seeing. Fear, most of the time, you're believing the worst-case scenario over something that hasn't even happened yet. You're terrified, and, and, and oh, my God, what if this disease does happen? And, 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 and what if this happens, and it hasn't even touched you? And yet, you have so much belief in the power of this disease, so much belief in the power of this situation going on that it terrifies you. Fear is powerful. And I'm going to tell you this right now. Satan has a couple of go-to weapons. Yeah, there's a lot of things. He'll fire little things at you all day long. But I'm going to tell you right now, two of his absolute ace in the hole, atomic bombs, go-to. This is his go-to move. If nothing else will work, he'll try to bring strife and division. Because where James said where envying and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. So 
if he can't get you to trip over something else, most of the time he can get you to trip over being offended and angry and upset and getting your feelings hurt at everybody. Another go-to for him is fear. Fear. It works brilliant, and it's worked for thousands of years, and it's still working. Well, that old devil, man, he's trying something new on me. No, he's not. He's using what he used against your grandma and her mom and the and, and your great-grandma and then your great-grandpa on your father's side and then your cousin over here. He's using the same thing he's used for thousands of years because it keeps working. If I'm playing basketball and every single time I go this way, I get the easy layup, guess what? I'm going to keep going that way every single time because you fall for it every single time. And fear is a potent weapon. Luke chapter 21, verse 26. Luke 21, verse 26. This is a, a verse that we, we used in our end times teaching on Wednesday nights that we did for nine weeks during the quarantine. Luke 21, verse 26. And I believe this was on the March 25th sermon. But Luke 21, verse 26, Jesus is giving uh, the full-out description, all these things that were going to happen before the end. Luke 21, verse 26, it says, People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers and the heavens will be shaken. Terrified at what they see. I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation. It says, What men see coming to the earth will cause the fear of doom to grip their hearts. Wow. What an off, what, like, did you hear that? It says, the fear of doom will grip their hearts, for they will even see the powers of the heavenly realm shaken. And so, I can look back over the last six months. Have you seen the fear of doom gripping people's hearts? Gripping them. I remember right after, I mean, I think it was March 16th, we did our Sunday service and, and, you know, it's like, hey, this stuff's getting kind of crazy. Churches are shutting down and we're like, well, you know, we're not. And then it turns out the county says, yes, you are. So we said, okay, we'll go online. And then, but March 16th, uh, you know, I, I take my kids to school, drop them off there in Victorville. I go to the Walmart to grab some stuff. I pull up and there's like, there's hardly a parking spot available in the whole parking lot. So I park a mile away. I'm like, what is going on here, man? I get up to the door. There's no shopping carts anywhere. And so I'm like, man, these guys are slacking. There's not a, then I get inside and this is one of the first times in my life that I've ever experienced this. I see hundreds, potentially over a thousand people walking around with a zombie fearful look on their face. By the hundreds, shopping carts overflowing, not even the good toilet paper. That was gone. They were on the cheaps to the single ply. They, they, I mean, just shopping cart overflowing and people nearly just shaking, hugging their carts with hand sanitizer, rubbing alcohol. And, and, I, and I mean, I'm not even trying to be funny right now, but I was like, what is going on? And then it realized me, wait a minute. I've, I've, I've felt this a time or two in my life. I know that this is a spirit of fear. The worst part about the pandemic wasn't the disease. It was the spirit of fear that, a, that the nation, the world, and even Christians were like, well, come on in. Make yourself at home. And I'm not saying to not be smart. I'm not saying to, you know, be foolish and, you know, not take things seriously. 
But I did not lose one second of sleep over any of this. And I know many committed Christians didn't either. But I know a lot of people that they were laid awake at night tossing and turning. Well, I don't know what's going to happen next. Why? The fear of doom gripped their hearts. And they're like, oh, my gosh, what happened? Well, guess what? Every time I use this phrase, I feel really happy. Jesus wins every time. But what if we're really scared? Jesus wins every time. But what if people are fighting because of their color? Jesus wins every time. But what if there's a lot of really sick people and fatal contagious diseases? Jesus wins every single time. Jesus wins. And so I'm telling you, fear works so brilliantly for Satan that he even tried to use it on Jesus Christ himself. Why would he do that to Jesus? Because the moment of Jesus going to the cross was right there at the door, and it was very apparent that Jesus was going to go through with it. Jesus was not going to call this thing off. And so as a last second, Hail Mary, well, maybe not that, but atomic bomb, whatever he can use, we're going to bring out everything we've got. We're putting fear out there. Satan tried to hold Jesus back with fear the moments before he was arrested to be crucified. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Let's go there. I'm running out of time, so i got to go fast. Luke 22, verse 41. It says this in the Living Bible. He walked away, perhaps a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed this prayer. Father, if you are willing, please take away this cup of horror from me. And maybe yours says this cup of suffering, but he says this cup of horror, but I want your will, not mine. That an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him, for he was in such agony of spirit that he broke into a sweat of blood with great drops falling to the ground as he prayed more and more earnestly. What was this? This was anxiety and fear trying to hold Jesus back from going to the cross because Satan knew, oh, if he shows up for the fight, I'm toast. He's going to set all these people free. They don't have to be afraid of dying anymore. They don't have to be afraid of the works of the devil anymore. They can go directly to heaven. They can start talking to God himself through the Father in Jesus' name. I have got to stop this. And so Jesus, in this moment, his body feels the anxiety, the stress, the fear and blood begin. Can you imagine you're shaking so much that blood just starts running out of your arms? Blood just starts dripping down your face. And you're, before you know it, he's kneeling in a pool of his own blood. No one had cut him. No one had struck him. No one had done anything to him yet. But here he is in a pool of his own blood. The human body can physically reach such a state of anxiety that it begins to sweat blood. It's called hematoidrosis. It's not a common thing because most people never know that level of stress. But Jesus did. And what did he do? He got up and said, all right, let's go. I'm going to do this. Why? Because Jesus wins every time. Even over fear, Jesus pushed that aside and said, no, I am going to still do this. I am going to die for the sins of the world. So what happened? He got up. Judas came, betrayed him with a kiss, and Jesus took on the cross. Let's see what happened. Colossians 2.15, as I'm winding down. Colossians 2.15 
So when Jesus died, it tells us in Ephesians that he descended into the lower parts. He went to hell and he fought Satan. We're talking about some combat here. Jesus didn't say, well, you come up here and fight me. You come. No, Jesus went to Satan's home field, his home turf and fought Satan and he won. But I love the way Colossians 2.15 puts it. The King James says, Jesus spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly. Well, what does that mean? Because look at this in the Passion Translation. It says, then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness. What does it mean when you make a public spectacle? I can imagine this, that the school bully's been pushing the people around for too long. There's this bully that's been stealing their lunch money. He's been taking your lunch and blowing the sack and popping it. He's been picking on you for years. And finally, somebody stands up and says, no. No more. I think of it this way. Remember the amazing classic movie, The Christmas Story, right? Ralphie and the guys, they get picked on by this bully all the time till finally one day the bully and all his buddies show up and Ralphie says, oh, no. And he fights the guy. What do his buddies do? They take off running because the bully has been exposed as really a coward. The bully has been exposed. Wait a minute. He's not that tough. Jesus went down to hell beat Satan up in front of all his buddies, made a spectacle of him, and conquered the devil. It says he stripped away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. How? He was not their prisoner. They were his. Somebody say amen today. So Jesus wins every time. I challenge you. I encourage you this week. Pay more attention to the Bible than you do the news. Pay more attention to what Jesus has to say than what your expert friends on Facebook have to say. Pay more attention to what the word of God says. Because I know this much. Jesus wins every time. Say that with me again. Jesus wins Every single time. Somebody give the Lord some praise today. Amen. I'm going to have my dad come up. And pastor is going to take the Sunday morning tithes and offerings. But we want you to know we are in agreement with you. If you've got a situation going on. If you've got things coming against you. We believe for you that Jesus wins every time. But you're going to have to do it his way. Amen. 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 I'll tell you what. If that don't light your fire, your wood's all wet. Man, oh man, this is awesome. It's so good to be here to hear the Word of God. We're going out over the internet for people to hear this. And there's no reason for people like you, people like me, to lose the battles of life. You know, battles come to save people, come to unsave people. The difference is we've got the answer if we only do what the Word of God tells us to do. Well, what time is it? Happy time. Happy time. Amen. I want you to look at your Bibles at Psalm 78. Psalm 78, I'm going to show you something really important for you as a warning from God for us to keep on doing what we do so we keep on getting the victories he has for us. Uh, a, a, a note, uh, just just put this in your thinking, write it down if you want to. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, God tells us these Old Testament examples of Israel shows us of what not to do, what not to do to go in the wrong direction tells us what to do to go in the right direction. 
How many are grateful that Jesus brought you through this uh, horrible time in the world? Amen. How many think that just because we come through this one, that the devil's going to back off, it's all going to be over now, they're just going to be great? No, no. As long as we're breathing, as long as we're pre-rapture before Jesus takes the church out of here, the enemy's still down here. And he used to be your master before you received Jesus. He doesn't like it because we rebelled against his kingdom and deserted across the line and come to the kingdom of God. He doesn't like that. He wants to get you back. But first, uh, uh, Psalm 78, I'm going to read verse 40, 41, and 42. Listen to this real closely. I want to give you time to look up your Bible. Verse 40, 41, and 42. Psalm 78 is telling the story of when Israel came out of Egypt. For 400 years, the Jewish people were slaves to the Egyptians. They were their slave masters. They told them what to do, what to eat, what to drink. And they, they, they wouldn't let them do anything they wanted to do. They made them do what Egypt wanted them to do. And if you know the Bible, the Bible tells us the New Testament church is a type of Israel and the world is a type of Egypt. And so we came out of the world and now we're in a new family. And so here's what it tells us. This is a warning for us today for the times we're coming out of. It says, how often did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Well, I live in the desert now, and I'm not going to grieve God. I'm going to do what's right. How about you? Yea, now look at this. They turned back and tempted God and limited. They put limitations on God, the Holy One of Israel, of what God could do for him, for them. I'm not going to limit God what he can do for me and my family. I'm going to limit God how he can bless me. I'm not going to put limitations on him. We have a will. Choices have consequences. I'm not going to turn back just because I made it through this one. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. Says they forgot what God had done for them. And, you know, I I told the first service that... I noticed something as a pastor getting to see the financial records of the church and talk to other pastors. There were a whole lot of lukewarm, halfway Christians. They never tithed before. They weren't serious about their money and God. All of a sudden, when these things hit, they thought this might be the end of the world. They thought, We've read about end times. We've heard end times preached before about the rapture of the church and the great tribulation. And all of a sudden, the whole entire world got hit back in March. And a lot of Christians that thought this might be the end of it, they started tithing to God. They started giving offerings to help other people. And they got real serious about the Bible and tithing. Well, all of a sudden now, God said right here in Psalm 78, that these people were halfway serious and then they needed delivered from Egypt. They got real serious with God and then it said after after, after the crisis was over, all of a sudden, whew, ah, back to normal. Man, we go back to all of our stuff we always did before. It's all over. And it says they forgot. Put limitations on God. And so I want to tell you this. I think we found out that America is not invincible. 
The only reason America's ever been great is because America used to put Jesus first. Praise God for the Christians in America that are praying now so God can come through and do things. But what happens, your retirees or those replaced retirement, if Social Security falls? What happens if your pensions are gone? What happens if all of a sudden these good union jobs are gone? What happens? Who is it that's your supplier? Who is it that's your family provider? Without God, without God, it could be bad. So this is God telling us right now, whatever it is you did in this season that caused you to get serious, when the pressure's off, don't take your guard down. Keep tithing, keep giving, keep loving, keep serving, keep doing what you did. He said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. God's word is your strength. God's word is your source. God's word is your life. Don't limit God. Amen. Let's make our financial faith confession, and I'm going to turn this back over to Pastor Dave to close this out. But let's, let's say these words, and look at what we're saying. They're all in line with promises from God's words. As we bring the Lord's tithe and give offerings today, we believe we receive jobs or better jobs, promotions, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, growth in business, settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills paid off, debts paid off, royalties received, blessings and increase. Thank you, Lord, meet all my financial needs so I have more than enough to take good care of my family, to give generously in the kingdom of God, promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, guys, so I remind you that uh, one of the best ways to give right now is hdwc.org slash giving. We've been doing a lot of online giving, but if you want to give by cash or check, we've got the table back there. You can grab your own envelope and put it in the bucket all on your own, and then uh, you've, you've given and you haven't had any physical contact. So praise God for that. All right, well, let's go ahead, and we're going to close out. Let's stand up together today as we do this. Amen. We're going to close out and speak some words of faith over our city. Let's do this. Who knows that Barso is blessed? Amen. Jesus has kept us safe, bringing us all the way through 2020 and beyond. Hallelujah. But let's say this together. We declare that Barstow is a blessed city. Our families are blessed. Our schools are blessed. Our churches are blessed. Barstow is healed. Barstow is prospering. Barstow is safe. Barstow is strong. Barstow is surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Barstow is full of love, joy, and peace. Barstow is full of the glory of God. Barstow is coming to Jesus. Barstow is saved. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys. Parents, remember 1 o'clock on Facebook and YouTube. Catch the Children's Church video. 6 o'clock church tonight. You don't want to miss it on YouTube and Facebook. Love you guys. Bye.